Well, as that song said, he can move mountains. He can move mountains in your life. I'm not sure exactly the struggle that you have today, but I believe wholeheartedly that because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, that he can accomplish in our lives all he desires, all he wants. And especially as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, especially as we look at the things that he's working in us and he's working through us in our lives, that sometimes we can look at these fruit and we can say, I don't see how it's possible that I could love like that, or I can have joy like that, or peace like that, or be kind like that, or faithful, or good like that, or gentle, or today self-control. I'm not sure. The mountain looks too big in front of me. Well, I just want to say to you today, every one of us, as we begin this morning, it's possible. Whatever it is that you're facing today, it's possible for him to work this out in your life in a way that will bless you and honor him in a huge way. So if you would, go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program. You'll be able to follow along. You'll be able to take some notes today. You have your Bible. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 for the entire talk today as we go through those verses that we're going to look at this morning. If you picked up a lobby Bible, you can open it to page 893, and you'll find Galatians 5 there. And just know if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. So take one with you. They're out in the lobby. If you have one, you picked one up, just put it back, and someone else can use that or take it back at a later time. So we're in this series. It's been inspirational. It's been challenging as we've gone through this, as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. We actually laid the groundwork and the framework for this. We put into place on Easter Sunday. On Easter, we talked about that we can be made new. We used a verse on Easter Sunday, and then we used it the next week as well, that talks about the power that's in us to be made new. It's from Philippians chapter 3. It's right on the top of your notes there. And Paul is writing this, and he says, I want to know Christ. He's not saying, I want to know more information about Christ. He knew information about Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want to personally experience Jesus. Now, we're going to come to communion at the end of our time together today. Communion is the most expressive uh, event that we can participate in. It's making Jesus real. As we come down and we look at his body and his blood that was given for us, as we touch the bread and realize it represents his body, and we drink the juice and it represents his blood, it makes Jesus real to us, and we experience what he did for us on the cross together. And he goes on to say this, and I want to experience the mighty power. And what power is that? That's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he said, that power is possible. When you say yes to Jesus, he then places his power, his promises, his Holy Spirit comes to live and reside inside of you, and he will accomplish his will in your life as you choose to walk with him. The Bible says that same power is available. So what does that look like? What does it look like that he's going to work in us and he's going to produce through us certain characteristics? Well, that's what we're talking about in this series. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the supernatural descriptors of what God wants to do through us through the power of his Spirit when we say yes to him, choose him, and follow him. And today we get to the last fruit in the list. It's called self-control. Now, I don't think it's last because of importance. I think it's last because it sums up, if you don't have self-control, it's going to be difficult for any of the fruit to be lived out in your life, to experience any of what God wants to in your life. If you don't understand this concept of self-control and get your brain wrapped around that, it's going to be a struggle. Because as we've said, 
Fruit is vital. It's important that Jesus produces fruit, and each fruit is necessary. So they're all important, but I think today as we look at self-control, we're going to see how important this is for us. Let me do Every week I've spoken, I've done it this way. I want to define the fruit, and then we're going to talk about how we can have this applied in our lives. So it really literally means self-command. The Greek word means self-command. When we take about self-control, it means self-command. But here's the way I put a definition for you there. Self-control is getting a hold or a grip on yourself. It's getting a hold or a grip on yourself. It shows an inner strength that I didn't have before, an inner strength I didn't have before to choose differently in life. This will surprise some of you. Self-control is actually a synonym for being free. It's actually a synonym for being free. Because if you're not self-controlled, you're out of control. And when you're out of control, there's no freedom. Self-control is a synonym for being free in life. If you're out of control, you're a slave to some other force. If you're out of control. And so to have self-control is actually the pathway to freedom, to freedom in life. We need self-control. Let's just start, you know, you know see how level the ground is for all of us this morning. How many of you would say today you need a little more self-control? Raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're exhibiting your self-control to never do what the pastor asked you to do. <laughs> Okay, I understand how that is. I know how that goes. I was one of you one time. <laughs> and uh, so I understand that. So, but we all, have, we all need this, right? We have trouble controlling our tongues. We have trouble controlling our thoughts. We have trouble controlling our feelings. We have con- trouble controlling our impulses. And let alone with all the you know, opportunities available today, we have a, a trouble controlling our addictions and the things that we do and we participate in so that we can self-medicate in life. So we have difficulty in this whole issue of self-control. Now, what I'm going to do today turned out to be a little different. When I first laid out the series and what I was going to talk about on self-control, I had a certain idea in mind of where we'd head. But every time I spoke, I came back to this understanding as I was walking through these verses and looking at them that what I needed to do on this day was to help us to understand in context of Galatians 5, 16 through 26, what Paul would saying, and how in the middle of that is the, is the uh, fruit of the Spirit, but in context, you're going to see as we look through these, actually how to cultivate self-control. And we're just going to kind of walk through this verse by verse and look at this section today about the whole idea of self-control. So the first thing, you want to write this down, this is the first kind of idea that we're going to look at in these first verses. If I'm going to cultivate self-control, I need to realize I am at war. I need to realize I am at war. And folks, you just got to know, we are at war. We are at war. The moment that you say yes to Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and his freedom and his purpose in life and his cleansing, at that moment, your enemy woke up. He woke up and you became a target on his most wanted list. Until then, he didn't care less, could care less about you could care less about you. As long as you're walking along and you're not choosing Christ, he doesn't care about you. But at the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, he declared war on you. He painted a target on your chest and you became his number one enemy, each person who belongs to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Talks about the concept of battle. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, what your sinful nature, this is the old self. This is the self that was part of me when I was born. This is the part self that's also part of me. We call it the old nature, but it's still the part of me that will be with me until death. Your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature, the part of me I was born with, the part of me that will be with me until death, it wants to do what? I don't think you believe it. It wants to do what? I think you believe it. I think it's our self wants, what does it want to do? Evil. evil. That's what it wants to do. I'm not saying go out and do evil. I'm saying it wants to do. Okay, there we go. And it says this, which is the opposite. Notice that the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us the desires. So what the spirit gives us is desires that are opposite of what the natural self, the sinful nature desires. The two forces are constantly what? Fighting. They're constantly fighting each other. So because of that, you are not free to carry out your good intentions because there's a warfare, there's a battle, and you're not free to carry out the good intentions of the spirit because your enemy is doing all he can to keep you focused on carrying out his will in life. And there's a warfare, there's a battle going on. You're in a battle over your heart, over your life, over your effectiveness, over your family, over your life as a follower of Christ. You're in battle. You're in a war. That's the first thing we need to know. And it's a war that's going to go on until Jesus comes again or until you're put in the grave. One or two times. It's never going to stop. You're going to have it. So some of you need to say, oh, that's why things are happening the way they are. That's why, oh, I now I've got a bigger picture now. I understand why I'm having the desires that I'm having, even though I know Christ. I'm still having those same desires that I used to have. You don't have to act on them. We're going to talk about that. Second thing is this. If I'm going to cultivate self-control, part of that whole picture is I need to realize I have a dual nature. That when I say yes to Jesus, as I just said a few moments ago, I now live with a dual nature. I have my sinful nature. It, I will carry it until I put, and put it in the grave or Jesus comes again. But I now have this new nature that's inside of me that's drawing me to God and his spirit. And they're in warfare and in conflict. And I live, you live every day with a dual nature. Every day you have a dual nature warring at battle inside of you. And Paul's talking about the sinful nature here. He goes on in verses 19 through 21. He says this. Now, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear. And then what he does is he lists the results of your sinful nature. The first three have to do with sex. No surprise, right? No surprise at all. That's where the first thing that he would talk about here. He says, first of all, you have desires in you that don't please God in the area of sex and sexuality. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. That means alone lustful pleasures that you would engage in. That's a work of your natural self. Then he says this, talks about kind of religion and the ways that we would have religion apart from God. He says, idolatry and sorcery. Your natural self is not drawn to God. Your natural self is drawn away from God to idolatry and sorcery, anything other than having to submit and surrender to what God says. Next, it talks about relationships. Here's how your natural self acts and works in relationships. You have hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. That's the act of your natural self. 
Now you see why we need to be redeemed, right? That's the act of our natural self. And then these last two have to do with substance abuse, drunkenness and wild parties, drunkenness and wild parties. And he says, and by the way, if I've left anything out that may, you may feel is your struggle and other sins just like these. <laughs> and he says this, let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean anyone living that sort of life is not a follower of Christ? That's not what Paul's saying there. What Paul is saying is that if anyone continues to live in the old pattern and doesn't, quote, repent, doesn't work to change, stays in the old pattern and still tries to have the dual nature living fully and adheres to both, but listens most to the flesh, then that person, if you're that person, you need to question whether you ever really said yes to Jesus or not. Whether you really been in need of him or not. If you continue in those same patterns, continue in those same things, you still, those are the primary things that you focus on, that you're involved. You need to question whether you ever said yes to Jesus or not. That's what Paul's getting at. Now, he's, done, when he, um, he's using metaphors here, and he's using metaphors. He's talking about that. When he talks about the works of the natural self, he uses that word works. Now, you would think when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he would keep his metaphors the same, and he would use a gardening term, and he would say, you have the weeds of the flesh. You have the weeds of the flesh. Now, there's a reason why he didn't say that you have the weeds of the flesh. And I went out into my backyard yesterday, on Friday, went into my backyard on Friday, the first time I've been in my backyard all year. <laughs> and when I went in my backyard, <laughs> I was, that was scary. You're right. It was scary. Because there's like, it's just covered in star thistle about this high, all getting ready to do its purplish thing and bloom and blossom everywhere. And I thought to myself, I didn't plant star thistle back here. <laughs> in fact, I remember last year rounding up the whole hillside, you know, just round up everywhere, killing everything inside, even the things I wasn't supposed to kill. Right, Kim? <laughs> and, uh, and so I didn't plant star thistle, but you know, lo and behold, star thistle grew in my yard this year without me doing anything. And so what Paul, if the reason he didn't use the metaphor of weeds here is that weeds are natural. He used works because works are what we do. So I work this out. I choose, this is, oh folks, we don't slip into this. I choose it. Sobering to think. Every time you find yourself in a sinful nature, you chose to be there. You made a definite choice to ignore the Spirit of God in your life. Every time you do that. So he, doesn't, he, he deliberately mixes the metaphors to show that it's our choice. So on the other hand, though, the fruit of the Spirit, the reason he used that metaphor is he talk, he, we talked about this a lot in our series, it's not by what I do that I produce this fruit. It's not you know, by my keeping the rules and regulations. It's not by going to church. It's not by religion. But it's simply because I'm making choices to follow the Spirit's leading in my life, and that as I do that, then He slowly works this out in me. He produces this fruit in my life. Uh, St. Augustine once said this. He says that sin is disordered love. It's disordered love. Sin is loving things out of order. It's when I choose to place prominence in secondary things instead of primary things. It's when I choose not to give myself to primary things, but I'm giving myself to secondary things. And so what we want to do is make sure that we are choosing to give myself to choose the pathway that's going to lead us to him, lead us to the fruit of the Spirit. 
So I just want to shoot at this a little bit, okay? Just talk about this a minute. Uh, as I was thinking about this, disordered love leads to breakdown. When I get my, my love out of order, what I'm going to follow. So here's what I want to shoot at a little bit. And this is kind of our culture. And I don't mean out there. I mean all of us. Okay, when I say culture, I mean all of us because we're the culture. Here it is. The current idea that I can be happy no matter what I choose as long as I'm true to myself is not correct. It's not correct. That I can be happy no matter what I choose as long as I'm true to myself is not correct. It's not true that the way to peace and happiness is just to get in touch with my feelings and do what feels best to me. That's not true. But our culture teaches that to be truth. I'm going to give you an example. I have a desire. You know, I have a desire to lose weight. And that is a strong desire in me to lose weight because I want to be healthier. On the other hand, I have a desire for chocolate cake. <laughs> now, if I give in to my feelings, which desire am I going to choose? Chocolate cake every time. Guaranteed. It takes control. It takes self-control to limit myself in one area so I choose the right choice in another area. I can't just give in to my feelings and go with whatever feels right and expect that to lead me to truth or lead me to what God wants. I've got to give myself to him. It's not possible through following my feelings to win the battle against the dual nature because we were born with this dual nature. Think about this. If you came to know Christ, say you came to know Christ at 5 or 40, how many years did you live before you came to know Christ? All those years. So all those years, you were accustomed to following the natural self. That's your bent. That's your nature. You have ruts that are deep in that area. So now you are breaking out of that. And so the, this is your stronger bent until you, oh, God builds some ruts in your life through the Spirit. So that's your natural bent as well. So I have to, can't give in to my natural feelings and expect to follow God. Paul says it this way. I don't really understand myself. Anybody want to say that? You agree with that? Maybe you say, I really don't understand the person next to me. <laughs> Maybe that would be what you would say. For, uh, there we go, an amen back there. <laughs> For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And so he's talking about this dual nature and the struggle we have with our dual nature. So, okay, next thing I need to do is I need to uh, initiate a plan. I need to initiate a plan designed to bring you victory. Initiate a battle plan in order to um, bring victory into your life. Paul goes on. I'm going to skip the fruit of the Spirit because we're going to come back to them. But he goes on and he talks about the plan we need to have. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So part of the first part of the plan is I've got to come to Christ and I've got to say to him, God, I want you to take my sins, crucify my sins on the cross. So that means I repent to him before him. Since we are living by the Spirit then, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So I want to talk about here, my battle plan is once I've said yes to Jesus, once I've you know, surrendered and crucified my sins to his cross, once I've done that, how do I live my life in a way that allows me to no longer give in to the sinful nature, but I'll now give in to the fruit, give in to the leading of the Spirit. Well, he says it 
happens when I walk with the Spirit, when I live with the Spirit, when I am in step with the Spirit, walking along in the Spirit. You remember when I talked about peace a few weeks ago? I said part of peace is just realizing that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you. He's right there, and you can trust Him, and you can have peace in your circumstances no matter what's there because He is there strengthening you. You can trust Him to be with you and guide you. Well, in this area, you can walk with the Spirit, and as you walk with Him, He's going to produce this fruit in you as you continually choose him. Craig Massey put it this way, talking about this, um, these dual natures that we have. He says, there are two natures that beat within my breast. One is foul, the other blessed. The one I love, the other I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. <laughs> True? The one I feed will dominate. And so and if that's the truth, I need to develop a plan for I'm going to wage war and feed God's spirit working in my life. Three things that we would want to do. Just three, just off the top of my head as I was going through this. First, I need to saturate my mind with God's word. I need to saturate my mind with God's word. Now, those of you who come here all the time, you're looking at me say that, you're hearing me say that, you're looking on the screen, you go, Ron, don't you know anything new? You tell us this all the time. In fact, in almost every message you give, you talk about the fact that it's through God's word that things are made possible in understanding. And you know what? You're probably right. I probably do say that a lot, but it's not my fault. It's God's fault because it's in his <laughs> word, okay? And it's true. I see it lived out in my life. As I choose his words, I saturate my life with his word, saturate my mind, saturate my heart. Then when I'm in the difficult situations, then when I'm in the conflict and the battle is going strong and the bullets are whizzing over my head and it's that whole thing about am I going to choose the natural self or the spirit, then God will bring his word out. It will pop out. It will come to my mind. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes that and he brings it out as I've allowed it to saturate in me. And in that moment, I'm able to have his word giving me strength to make the right choice because I know what God wants. Look at how Paul writes in 2 Timothy about this whole idea. All scripture is inspired by God, all of it, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. This is why people want to, you know, make the Bible be irrelevant, folks. This is why those who live in the sinful nature tell you the Bible is irrelevant and it's not culturally acceptable today. Because the Bible teaches us what God says is true and shows us what is wrong in our lives. And then it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to, to prepare and equip his people for every good work. Now, I didn't put this verse in your notes, but you want to write it down. Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.11. The psalmist is writing about God's word, and it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you that I might not sin against you. So as the word is there, as it comes out, as I'm saturated with that, then it keeps me in God's place so that I might not sin against him. I might choose my fleshly side. So I need to memorize it. I need to let it come inside of me. I see that we've got a Bible reading card in your, in your program today, and we read through the Bible in a year. We encourage people to do. And this is once a quarter, we give it to you. It's just a reminder and a refresher. And so you might just jump in and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the Bible. And I just say almost every day, not every day, just honest, not every day, but almost every day, God will use the daily reading. And you know, it's just random, chosen by him. I'm reading this and I didn't choose these verses, you know, myself. And I sit down and I, 
read these verses, but I can't tell you how many times God will speak to me through words, the, the verses that are written here in an area in my life or someone I'm talking to that day who needs to hear what I read that morning. I just can't tell you how many times it's true. And so I just want to encourage you that you might follow that. Okay, the second idea is this. Second part of our battle plan is I need to seek others for accountability. You're going, Ron, you say that all the time too. You know, seek others for accountability. You need to be part of a small group. You need to be part of a group where you're establishing a relationship with other people that you can seek them. And usually this doesn't mean your entire group, okay? Because you're not going to be as vulnerable with an entire group as you would one person or two people that you've formed a relationship, a deeper relationship as part of your group that you can talk to and you can seek them for accountability. We need others who are on the same journey, who have the dual nature, they have the spirit, and they're listening to the spirit. We need that others who have that dual nature, who are with us, who can rely on the spirit to talk to us about our lives and point it out when we're moving toward responding to our sinful self as opposed to the spiritual self that God's calling us to do in that way. So look at what Proverbs 12 says. It says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. So folks, if you think you can win the battle on your own, then you're walking into your enemy's camp. I'm not even talking about an ambush. You're just walking into his camp. If you think you can win the battle on your own, we have to have others that will be around us for accountability. So part of a small group, I think the greatest area in our church that you have to be part of a place for accountability is through our Celebrate Recovery. Now here you have people who walk in the door and say, you know, I've been living in my sinful flesh and it's caused me these problems. I've got these addictions, these hangups and these hurts. And I want to, you know, allow the spirit to work through me and they're vulnerable. They're authentic with each other and they have accountability built into the system. And so maybe that's an area, maybe just you, but it'd be helpful just to go there so you could work on the areas you're struggling in with self-control as you would participate in that. And the third thing is, my battle plan, part of the battle plan is I need to surrender to God's control. I need to surrender to God's control. So here you go. The way to cultivate self-control is to surrender yourself to God's control. To take yourself out of the driver's seat and to say, I'm going to surrender myself to your control. And the Holy Spirit produces his fruit in our lives when we allow God to control our life. He does that. Paul says in Romans 8, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So I want to know that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says it again, that same power is living in you. I must give up control. Now, that goes against, you know, a lot of what we, you know, a lot of the phrases that we hear in the Bible kind of seem countercultural or counterintuitive, that kind of thing. Uh, phrases like this. The Bible's full of challenges like this. The Bible says that in order to really live, I must die. Doesn't make sense, does it? But in order to really live, I must die. But as you understand it and you try it, you see it's true. The Bible says that to win, I must lose. That doesn't seem to work, but yet when you follow what the Bible says, you see it's reality. The Bible says to be great, I must serve. I must be a servant. The Bible says that in order to be first, I must be last. The, the Bible says in order to gain self-control, what we're talking about today is I must give up control. 
and give up control to him and let him rule my life. There's these verses, this verse that John read to us uh, just a few minutes ago. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So the idea is that as I allow God's love to control me, then I can have the inner strength of self-control to make choices that are based upon the Spirit's leading in my life. I must admit, though, that I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot produce this fruit on my own. We've talked a lot about that in this series, that it's His Spirit producing this through us. Okay, last idea, and I think this is actually the most important of the entire day. So if you've been sitting there kind of dozing or gazing or, you know, fading away, texting or anything like that, come back, okay? Um, Here's the last one is this. If I'm going to cultivate self-control, I must learn to celebrate God's grace. I must learn to celebrate what God is doing in my life by His grace. I must learn to celebrate. How many have heard of Gordon MacDonald? Many of you have heard of Gordon MacDonald? Well, he's a Christian speaker, pastor, author. Uh, he was just dynamic when he was coming out of the chute and he was being held up as uh, someone who was going to make a tremendous difference for the kingdom and calling people to righteousness and, you know, fighting the fight, those kinds of things. And, and he was just on the, he was on the front lines and everyone was looking at him as someone who uh, they would want to follow and emulate themselves after. Well, Gordon stunned the Christian world several years ago when it was discovered that while speaking so boldly for God, he was having an affair at the same time. At the same time. And he went down hard. And a lot of people were disillusioned and disappointed and discouraged as they watched him go down hard. But by God's grace, Gordon MacDonald saw the error of what he had done and had some people who came around him. And by God's grace, he went through a process of repentance and restoration. And eventually, his marriage was saved. You know, he worked this all out, and eventually his marriage was saved. And eventually, because he was restored, he was actually allowed to move back into ministry and have an impact in the world. Now, he was asked what advice he would give to other people, other followers of Christ, other pastors, to help them not have the same fall, to lose the same battle that he lost. And this is what he said. When I look back, I can see that the problem, in my opinion, was that I wasn't having enough fun. As a follower of Jesus... I just wasn't having enough fun following him. My life as a follower of Jesus was all about the struggle, all about the fight, all about working hard and being disciplined. That was good. But what was missing was time to delight in God's good gifts, God's grace to me. I was like a child at Christmas who didn't even bother to open the presents. When I didn't do that, my spirit found an escape hatch to boo fun. 
And what he's saying, and what I want to say to us today, is that part of the strategy and the warfare and the battle that we're in is that you and I need to carve out times when we celebrate what God is doing, the positive that he's doing in our life, to celebrate and to have joy over the experience of Christ working in us. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, it is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus to carve out a soul satisfying life under the loving rule of God so that sin will not look so good. If it didn't look good, would we do it? No. I mean, if we saw beyond the moment to the results, that's why the new you know, cigarette labels are so good on those packages that they, so, they show you the results right up front when you pick up that pack. If we could see beyond the, the instant to the results, then we would not want to do it. But we've got to see beyond the choice to the fruit of what God's doing in our lives. The reason we get addicted to things, one of the reasons we get addicted to things is that we just lack joy. That's why I just go back and say the message on joy in this series, other than this one, was probably one of the most influential messages that you can hear. Joy. The ability to have joy in life's circumstances. It's so important that we cultivate joy in our lives. And then, now, let's look at the fruit. Let's look at what he wants to produce in us, what the Spirit's working on to produce in us, in our lives. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In just a few minutes, we're going to walk back through those, and I'm going to give you a chance today to celebrate what God's doing in your life and celebrate the fruit that you're experiencing in him. But before we do... I just want to end with what I thought was an interesting twist by Paul. He lists, he goes through, and in verse 26, he just kind of does something that doesn't seem to fit. He ends this entire section with something that doesn't seem to fit. This is what he says. So then, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And I think that what he's saying here is he's wrapping this all up, talking about the works of the flesh and my abilities or inabilities to conquer them and my fruit of the Spirit and my inability to produce that. But yet what God is doing in me in that process as I'm going through that in life, I think that what he's saying here is that my growth happens apart from my efforts and therefore I can't get the credit. I can't get the credit. So what, what we need to do is we're walking through our spiritual life, and this will be great for the people around you, okay? They'll love it when I say this. Don't hold yourself up as the perfect spiritual example. Just don't do it. Don't hold yourself up as the one because you've conquered in one area that now you've conquered all the areas, and you kind of walk through saying, I'm smug, I did it this way, and if you did it my way, you'd be able to be changed too. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, don't provoke people. Don't prod others to say that they've got to have spiritual growth your way, as if your way is the only way. Do it like I did it. Do it like I did it, and you can change too. It's important also, and the same you know, thought, it's important for us not to be jealous of someone else's spiritual growth. It's important for us not to be jealous of their spiritual growth. Folks, spiritual growth is not always equal. Two people can be involved in the same disciplines, 
the same battle plan, the same strategy, giving the same amount of time. One person will have this growth spurt and grow like 50% in a certain area and just like, wow, look at what happened. And the other person will have a spike and barely move because who's in charge of the growth? The Holy Spirit. And he does it according to his plan. And so I can't be jealous of someone else's growth because if I do that, then I'm going to find a way. Anytime we get jealous, we find a way to make ourselves better than someone else. So when I'm jealous, I'm going to find a hole in their lives that I can pick on them instead of celebrating what they've been able to do. But also I can't provoke or prod other people to say, you've got to do it like me. Look at who I am. And I think he's just given us this taste of saying, that's what community should be as we live life together in his way. Okay, now we're going to move to communion now. And as we do that, what I want to do as we move to this time of communion is just draw us back to this whole idea that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and that that offered us forgiveness for our past. And when we say yes to him, we're cleansed of our past and that he then places his spirit in us and he fills us and he makes us new and then he works together in our future to form his fruit of the spirit. So just think about that as we, our ushers are going to move into place and they're going to get ready uh, to serve us together. And if you ever just bow your heads for a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And what I want to do today is it's just kind of a self-analysis, but it's also a celebration as we just talked about a moment ago. I'm going to pray through the fruits of the spirit as they relate to the communion experience and to the cross. And then we're going to have our communion served after that. So God, I pray that you would help us in these moments to see Jesus the real Jesus and to embrace the love he showed us by dying on the cross. Grow us in our love as we look to the love you displayed on the cross. Help us grow in joy through contemplating the beauty of what Jesus did. Help us grow in peace because we trust you not just with our salvation, but with our lives. Help us grow in patience through remembering Jesus' words of forgiveness from the cross. Help us grow in kindness by remembering how you poured yourself out for us. Help us grow in integrity as we learn to live for an audience of one. Help us grow in gentleness and humbleness as we say, Lord, as you endured the suffering of the cross, develop the same attitude in me. Help us grow in self-control as we grow in our understanding that in your grace, you have given us all we need. Everything is available. And Jesus, I thank you for the gift of the cross and the resurrection and the power we can know from the resurrection, that same power lives in us to change us, to make us be like Jesus in all of our ways. So I'm going to ask our ushers if they had service now. And, you know, just like the fruit of the Spirit is for those who have chosen and said yes to Jesus, communion is for those who have said yes to Jesus. And so if you've never said yes to Jesus, please just let the plates pass and just observe today. There will be a day when you say yes to him yourself. 
If everyone would take a piece of the cracker and a cup and then hold on to it, then when everybody's served, we'll have communion together. I just ask you not to talk to the people around you. If you want, you can focus on the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be on our, spring, our screens and ask God to speak to you about those in your heart. So the meaning of communion is significant in Jesus when he instituted communion or the Lord's Supper, as we call it, because it was his, uh, or the night before he was going to be crucified. Uh, his disciples didn't fully understand it. And after the cross and after the resurrection, uh, Holy Spirit's helped us to understand more and more what exactly happened on the cross and how what Jesus was doing would show that. And so the bread, as he gave it to his disciples, he said, this represents my body, which is given to you for the sins of the world. And so you think about that. What that means is, is that uh, every person, because we are born with a sinful nature and we've made choices that are apart from God, that every person deserves 
punishment. Everybody. And Jesus, on the cross, on his body, took the punishment, the physical punishment that every person deserved. And so what he was saying is, he says, eat this and just remember, I took for you what you couldn't pay. So would you eat this and thank Jesus? And in a sacrificial system, there had to be a perfect lamb that was given. And then the blood represented the cleansing that could happen. And in this case, it represented God's choice to covenant. And God covenanted with his people. God covenants with you through the blood of Jesus to say, my son made it possible for you and me to be in relationship. And when Jesus' blood was shed, that was the perfect sacrifice given for us. So when Jesus gave it, he says, this represents the new covenant of salvation between God and his people. So let's drink this and thank Jesus that he made us new. Jesus is real. He is real. And he's real to you and he's real to me. And he wants to work his fruit out of us. The really cool thing is this, is that when we say yes to Jesus, the Bible says we become a new creation. We become new. We read in Joel this past week that God promised to redeem the land or the season that the locusts ate. And that means that Jesus Christ wants to redeem our past. And he wants to make us new, and he wants to live through us to embrace this life that he's called us to live and the fruit that he wants to produce in us. I want to end with a song that really kind of sums up the whole series about here I was, and I've chosen you, and now you're making me new. Dave's going to come sing that for us. I want to invite you to take your connection card again, and on the back, I'd like to ask you to respond to you know how God's worked in your heart today, what he said to you, and give it up. Just allow it to write it down and let someone else Take this card. We're going to put them in the offering baskets. We have folks who pray over these cards every week. And there's just a way for you to ask for prayer on there as well. And if you want prayer today, you say, you know what? I can't leave today, Ron, unless someone prays for me. Uh, if you just, as we dismiss in just a little bit, you can step right over here to our prayer connection spot. There'll be some folks there who will pray for you today. And we're going to receive our offerings. And if you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give at this time. Just let us do that and just uh, listen to some music with us. And at the end of that time, I'm going to come back and close us in a prayer. And I just invite everyone to stay seated. Until then. Okay, today's the end of our Time to Grow series, and I uh, hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, next week, we start a brand new series. In the summertime, we uh, always do something just a little bit different to take a you know change of pace. And this summer, what we chose to do is to look at... Uh, some stories that Jesus told. We're calling it the Jesus stories. And he talked in story a lot, and he told what is called parables. And we're going to look over the summer at several of the parables that Jesus taught so that we can get to know him better and know ourselves better because he's speaking down to ordinary people, just like you and me, he's speaking right to us. And he's, as every time he told a story, it captured the hearts of his listeners. 
And we're going to look at his stories and how they're relevant to us. And so here's a, you know, a couple of these in your program. You can use someone, maybe say, hey, come to my church. And we're doing this really cool thing this summer. You have one on your refrigerator to remind you of what we're going to be doing, where we're going to be in this series. Now, next week is, you know, you already know this, I know, is 4th of July, Independence Weekend. And on the 3rd, we're going to do something that's a little bit different. We're going to have a, you know, patriotic section, of course, as part of our service. And also, uh, there's a call around the country that we would also observe a time of prayer. And so part of the service next week, we were going to set aside some time, and we're going to pray for our nation together as a church family, knowing that there's going to be thousands of other people across America next Sunday praying for, their, for our nation as well. And we're going to do that together as part of our time as we celebrate Independence Day next weekend. So why don't you go ahead and stand up. We'll close in prayer today. Father, I thank you that you brought us here. I pray that you would help us to remember this warfare, this battle, that, and help us to have perspective now, maybe on our spiritual life. It'll be differently. And God, that we would choose to allow your spirit to produce your fruit through us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. See you next Sunday.